0: Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash bpshow.
2: thing you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show.
1: Donald Trump gives Iran a green light to start building nuclear weapons all over again. What do you say, everybody? Great to see you today. Here we go on a Wednesday, Wednesday, May 9th. A very dangerous day for the United States of America after Donald Trump rips up an agreement that had been signed, of course, by all of our allies, of most important allies, at least the UK, France, Germany, including in, in addition to Russia and China. And Donald Trump says they're all wrong. And I am right leading us down. The path of getting closer and closer to a nuclear, uh, another nuclear arms race and another nuclear war. We'll keep you on top of that. Plus, take a look at all the primaries yesterday. Uh, Some interesting results uh, in Ohio, in West Virginia, in North Carolina, and in Indiana. And a big hearing today on Capitol Hill for Gina Haspel Donald Trump's beleaguered nominee to head the, the be the new head of the CIA. Lots of news happening on lots of fronts. And we want to hear from you what you think about it all, of course. Send us your comments on Twitter, as always, at BP Show, at BP Show. As we join you everywhere in this great land of ours, reaching out to you from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Okay, get ready to go with all the big news of the day. But first...
2: This is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Yesterday, Disney had a call with its investors to talk about how much money it has made. And buddy, it is a lot. Mm. They saw $2.45 billion in revenue for the quarter. Now, why would it be so big? Well, they pointed directly to the success of... The Black Panther. Mm. The Black Panther mm. movie, which all the Marvel movies are owned by Disney. It was it exceeded expectations by so much that they saw a 21% gain in revenues in year over year because of the success of specifically Black Panther, yeah. but also all the Marvel movies. They pointed out that the top 10 biggest domestic box office openings of all time, nine of them, Nine of them Disney owned, and all of those Mm. came out within the last six years. Wow! So, bottom line is they're doing okay. They're 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 doing okay out there.
1: You know, you look at Disney's a really good company. They've had a great run. Look at Apple. Look at Amazon. I mean, yeah. you know, there's some <laughs> companies. They've exceeded the old Fortune 500 manufacturing kind of it,
2: style. It, it's sort of companies. an old school thing. You got to yeah, spend money yeah. to make money. They mm. bought up, like, they bought Star Wars, they bought yeah. the Marvel stuff, right. and they're just buying these blockbuster companies. And they making It used to even be you buy, like, it. DuPont or you <laughs> right. buy
1: General Electric. Uh uh-uh, uh, not right. today. No. New technology, baby.
2: How you feeling today, Bill? You feeling all right? I'm feeling, feeling great. Do you feel I'm, a little anxious? I, I
1: am feeling. No. Do you feel a little well, anxious? Yeah, over the Iran deal.
2: Right. Okay. All right. Well, you're not alone. A new survey from the American Psychiatric Association reveals that 39%, 39% of Americans feel more anxious now than they did a year ago. And mm. i got to tell you, a year ago, we were all feeling pretty damn anxious. Yeah. 39% oh, yeah. of us are feeling more anxious now. That's more than double the 19% of Americans who feel well, less anxious now. that it is still around. That's probably that's a big part of it. That that's a big part of it. So just everybody ease up a little bit. Everybody ease up a little bit. And we go to Greenville, South Carolina, because high school graduation season is upon us. But one thing you can't do in Greenville, especially at Greenville High School, is cheer when your child or your relative or your friend, whoever it is, crosses the stage. They are going to fine you $1,000 if you disrupt the graduation ceremony to cheer but when someone people walks,
1: always do that. Families always cheer when their kid walks by on the stage.
2: They've asked for people to reserve oh, their applause on. until the end.
1: Oh come on.
2: <laughs> and if you don't, you could get fined a thousand dollars. They'll
1: never enforce that. I don't think ridiculous. so. Ridiculous.
2: This is the Bill Press Show. Yeah,
1: how about it? Donald Trump says the UK, France, Germany, China, and Russia are all wrong, and I am right. What an idiot. What he did yesterday, withdrawing from the Iran nuclear deal. Hello, everybody. On a Wednesday, May 9th, this is the Bill Press Show. Great to see you today. And we thank you so much for joining us with lots and lots to talk about, lots you're going to want to dig into. We got it covered here in Washington, D.C. is where we start out, our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. And we reach out to you and join you wherever you are in the United States of America, coast to coast, every corner of this great country of ours, and also joining you around the globe. Uh, those of you uh, Americans living abroad, traveling abroad, traveling abroad. Serving our country abroad in the military? Or those of you not Americans who just want to know what's going on? Welcome, welcome, everybody, to this Wednesday edition uh, of The Bill Press Show. Joining you online on YouTube, youtube.com, slash The Bill Press Show. Another reminder about the podcast. It's always up. Well, shortly. It's always up. But the new one, every day, right after the show. Uh, Go to our website, billpressshow.com. Uh, sign up, sign up, become a member of the team. Therefore, then you get a regular updates not only every day during the day, but on weekends as well. Stuff you don't see or hear on the regular show. We're joining you on television as well on Free Speech TV, part of the DirecTV network, of course, and on the radio. Indiana big primary yesterday on Indiana Talk statewide and out in the great state of Illinois. The Great of Chicago area on the Progressive Voice of Chicago, WCPT. Lots going on today with a great lineup of guests. Dara Lind will be joining us from Vox to cover all the latest uh, on uh, Jeff Sessions, Department of Justice and Immigration, breaking up families at the border. Our own uh, foreign policy guru, nobody knows it better. What a day, a great day to have him in, Joe Cirincione, to talk about the Iran deal and this surprise visit yet again Uh, of uh, Mike Pompeo in North Korea as we speak, uh, negotiating the release of three Americans from prison in North Korea uh, as a prelude to the big talks between Kim Jong-un and Donald Trump sometime late this month or early next month. We still don't know yet. And there's a new organization uh, to try to get a new justice on this, uh, get ready. Right, to get a new justice, or maybe two, on the Supreme Court. Uh, Brian Fallon, former press secretary for uh, Secretary of State and presidential candidate Hillary Clinton, leads up that organization. He'll be joining us well. So we've got a great roster of guests today and a great uh, set of issues to talk about. Let's take a quick look at the primaries yesterday before we get into the Iran nuclear deal. Maybe the one that got the most attention, of course, was in West Virginia we know who the Democratic candidate for Senate is going to be incumbent senator, Democratic senator, former governor of West Virginia, Joe Manchin, uh, a, a right of center a Democrat, but fits that state of uh, West Virginia. The question was, who was going to run uh, uh, against him? Uh, for a while, the front runner was Don Blankenship, former head of Massey Energy, who uh, violated uh, so many sa- federal safety regulations openly at Massey Energy which resulted in an explosion that killed 29 minors, that he actually went to jail for that, um, served his time, came out. He's still on probation, and he decides he's going to run for the Senate, and he ran for the Senate uh, basically uh, for Donald Trump and against Mitch McConnell. Uh, Don Blankenship, Republicans feared, might be the nominee. Uh, we were hoping he would be the nominee. Uh, <clears throat> uh, he didn't quite make it. Actually, uh, he came in third. Um Pretty, pretty miserable performance uh, on the part of Don Blankenship, and he says uh, yesterday last night he said he'd
3: understand it. I mean, man, he got close to Trump, but didn't help. We were in exact concert with what has made Trump eighty-four to eighty-seven percent positive, and lost this election badly.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, uh, and as far as Mitch McConnell, his arch enemy, Mitch McConnell he says is no better than Joe Manchin.
3: Mitch McConnell uh, is a Quintessential politician, Uh, uh, like Joe mentioned, they move with wherever the winds are flowing, and uh, they don't do anything to take care of the country.
1: I was reading cocaine Mitch.
3: Cocaine Mitch. That's right. Mm -hmm.
2: I was reading Politico last night, and and they they summed it up just perfectly as the uh, exit polling stuff started to come out. They just framed it as Blankenship versus McConnell. That's really what the race was about. It was. It was.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was in many ways a replay of uh, Alabama. Uh, yeah, you know, and uh, in Alabama though, uh, McConnell's guy lost, and the uh, enemy of McConnell ended up on the ballot, Roy Moore, who of course eventually lost to uh, to Doug Jones. Uh, again, Don Blankenship, he just mumbles so much. I just love hearing him. Uh, here's what here here here's here's what, what what happens is that the bigger the liar, the bigger the winner.
3: The best liars win these elections, mm-hmm. and we forget when they get elected that they're in the government. Mm-hmm. So you, you mm-hmm. got to be really careful because people uh, will say anything to get elected in these campaigns. And uh, that's one reason that uh, I'm probably uh, not very good at this game. Uh, yeah,
1: the best liars win. Yeah, look who's in the White House, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. You got that right, uh, Don Blankenship. Well, who's to blame? Who do you blame
3: for your loss? Soccer moms, uh, people that have to get up every morning and go to work, uh, you know, people that uh, maybe are focused on church or community activities, uh, they really don't have the time to invest in understanding the issues and and who's representing those issues. Oh yeah, those soccer moms, man, yeah,
1: they killed them. They Don just don't understand
2: the issues, Bill. Yeah,
1: right, mm-hmm. uh, they understood that a the felon, right, who of all things ran a very unsafe working place and forgot to put the, and refused to put the proper protections in place and cost the lives of 29 uh, minors and, and the incredible devastation to th- those communities and to their families that he didn't belong in the United States Senate. Uh, so you got to say uh, the Republicans did the right thing. there.'s Patrick Marcy, the Attorney, Gen- Attorney General of West Virginia, who will go up against the very popular uh, former governor and senator. Uh, Joe Manchin. Um, In Ohio, that was the other really big one, Uh, Dennis Kucinich trying to make a comeback. Uh, He had the endorsement of uh, the Bernie Sanders group, Our Revolution. Uh, Kucinich didn't do very, very well. In fact, Richard Cordray, former head of the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau, who resigned uh, because he didn't want he didn't like the direction Donald Trump Wanted to take the agency, which Donald is Trump basically— Donald Trump didn't want
2: to take it in a direction at all.
1: Basically, Donald Trump wanted to cut the agency, right. destroy, get rid of the agency. So Cordray quit, uh, and he went off to run for uh, governor of Ohio with the support of uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren, who uh, whose idea it was to create the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau. Uh, Kucinich got 22 percent. Cordray, 62 percent.
2: Mm. Not exactly a nail-biter.
1: Not exactly a nail-biter, but Dennis Kucinich congratulating Cordray.
2: I
4: contacted Richard Cordray, and I congratulated him on his election.
1: And Cordray says, in a little interview with ABC, here are the issues we're going to be talking about.
5: We're going to be focused on the kitchen table issues, access to affordable health care, better education and training for our kids, and also spreading out economic opportunity across the state. A lot of people feel left out and left behind.
1: Cordray says he will be up against, by the way, a former U.S. senator, uh, Mike DeWine, now Attorney General uh, of Ohio. Uh, Cordray's got his sights on DeWine from the very beginning.
5: Mike DeWine has been serving those at the top, enabling powerful interests to have their way in Washington and now in Columbus. Instead of being an advocate, he let Ohioans be taken advantage of for too long, costing us too much and undermining our future.
1: There we go. For Ohio in Indiana, interesting primary, Mike Brown, uh, Braun, I should say, uh, an outsider, never having run for office before, um, put a lot of his own money up. And he beat two Republican members of Congress who were vying for the Republican nomination for Senate there. Uh, Mike Braun winning. He will be up against Joe Donnelly, Democrat from Indiana, uh, in the fall. Oh, back to Ohio for just a second. Uh, Sherrod Brown. Uh, up for re-election, the great Sherrod Brown, uh, one of the strongest progressives and most outstanding members of the U.S. US Senate. Um, he has always been a prime target, particularly the Koch brothers. They hate Sherrod Brown. They poured all kind of money into, into Ohio the last time to try to stop Sherrod Brown and failed. Uh, Sherrod Brown has been our guest many times here on the program. Uh, he will be up, Sherrod Brown, this time. Uh, the winner of the Republican primary yesterday, un- not unexpected, Jim Renacci, Uh, Donald Trump went out to Ohio uh, a couple of weeks, a weekend or so ago, uh, campaigning for Renacci, endorsed him, and uh, that did the trick. Uh, There was one other little, uh, one other interesting race, which is down in North Carolina. An incumbent Republican, uh, Robert Pettinger, um, was knocked out by uh, an outsider, um, a Well, Pettinger was a Trumper. This guy was just a a real anti-establishment Republican, if you will, a guy named Mark Harris, uh, which puts that seat in jeopardy and it's a possible pickup seat now for a Democrat. So uh, some interesting stuff on the the political front yesterday and uh, lining up uh, some interesting races for the fall. You know, one of the... We're into it, man. We're into the midterms. This is it.
2: One of the takeaways, I think, is, right, like when you talk about Pettinger who was an anti-establishment Trump guy. You look at Blankenship, who was an anti-establishment uh, Trump guy, even though Trump didn't really support him. He claims to be Trumpier than Trump. Yeah. Uh, even Dennis Kucinich, who's an anti-establishment guy. I think that people are craving normal Like politicians, people who take this seriously, who can point to a history of public service whether it's Republican or Democrat, frankly. Yeah. yeah. Uh and, and this is something that we've said since Donald Trump was elected, some of these guys are running like Trump at their peril, right? Mm-hmm. Like they are going to try and run yeah. as Donald Trump and they're gonna get they're gonna lose. You know? So By,
1: by the way, there's an interesting uh, not a primary um in California, but um big debate last night. Um there are um let me see, John Chang, Delaney Easton, Gavin Newsom at least four Democratic candidates for governor, and uh, <coughs> John Chang, Delane Easton, Gavin Newsom, and Antonia Villaragosa. And now there are two Democratic, uh, two Republican candidates for governor. Um, and, you know, the way it works in California, the top two vote-getters are on the ballot. So it could be, and looks like it will be, just two Democrats on the ballot in November for governor, uh, no Republican but uh, all six of them lined up last night for a debate in uh, San Jose. It's interesting also, too, the two Republicans, John Cox is one, I forget the name of the other, neither one of them got the endorsement of the Republican Party. The Republican Party has not endorsed a candidate for governor because I think they feel, why bother? Why bother, right? And they're probably not going to end up on the ballot either. But one of the issues... Um, This is the Me Too movement, Uh, and the two frontrunners, Gavin Newsom and Antonio Villaragosa, both have a history of um, extramarital affairs, known, public, admitted extramarital affairs with Gavin Newsom. It was with his best friend's wife, his campaign manager's wife, uh, and Antonio Villaragosa. It was with a TV anchor in Los Angeles, Uh, but they both fessed up last night, so... The other candidates raised the issue of character, uh, and both Antonio and Gavin, both of whom are friends of mine, uh, fessed up and said, yeah, we did it. It was wrong, and we apologized and, um, you know, moved on. Here's uh, Antonio, former mayor of Los Angeles, Antonio Villagosa.
5: I also acknowledge uh, that I made a mistake. Uh,
1: I lost my marriage. Uh, I lost my family for a time. Uh, I took responsibility for it. Uh, Gavin Newsom. Sort of the same. I was honest about it. I was open about it. I apologized for it. I was wrong. <sighs> I was wrong. Gavin Newsom also said when one of the Republicans, who is a Trumper, um, raised this issue about Gavin, Gavin said, it's a little cheeky for you, a supporter of Donald Trump, to be raising the issue of uh, <coughs> infidelity with me. Stormy Daniels, can you spell it? Yeah. That's fair. It was fair. Yeah. Yeah. Probably the best look. Probably the best line of the night. And the biggest news of the day yesterday, disastrous news. And uh, so glad we're going to be talking to uh, Joe Sear and Sony from the Plowshares Fund a little bit later because we've talked to him a lot about the consequences of pulling out the Iran deal. Well, um, Donald Trump did it yesterday. You know, those of you who joined us yesterday, we thought that there were three ways of going, you know, either staying in the deal, which was not going to happen, or getting completely out of the deal, or trying to find some middle ground where we're sort of going to pull out, but not quite. We're going to continue to work at it. No, Donald Trump did the whole thing. Pulled the plug all the way uh, in that address in the, to the in the uh, diplomatic room uh, of the White House yesterday. Uh, let's hear Donald Trump. But first of all, you, you just got to say, this is monumentally insane and frighteningly dangerous, what he did. And I mean, if you thought that uh, Donald Trump was just some sort of a aberration, right, that this is just some sort of uh, heavily tweeting clown, crude, obnoxious, ignorant, that we kind of got to put up with for a few years, but he won't do that much damage, boy, you got to change your mind after yesterday. This is a man who can take this planet to nuclear war in a second and he came very close to doing so yesterday. He is a dangerous, dangerous, ignorant man, has no idea what he's doing, Uh, and he proved it yesterday by, I mean, the the essence of it is, and this is so similar to the Paris Agreement, where in the Paris Agreement, get this, right? We are the only country on the planet that that, that has not joined and signed up with the Paris Agreement we did once, but pulled out. As of today, we're the only country on the planet That is not part of a worldwide effort to try to reduce the impact of climate change and to save the planet. I mean, like Donald Trump. Everybody else is over here. Donald Trump over here. And on this Iran nuclear deal, it's it's the same thing. Okay? You've got Germany and France and the U.K., our allies, and Russia and China, all saying this deal may not be perfect. But it's really important, and we got to stick to it. All of this and over here, Donald Trump, and in each case he said, "I know more than you do. I'm smarter than you are. And by the way, I can make a better deal." So he said, "We're going to pull out of Paris, but we're going to come up with a better deal." Where is it? It's absolutely a big, freaking lie for Donald Trump to say that. He had no intention of coming up with some alternative, no plan B. What did he say yesterday about Iran? Same thing. We're going to get out of this deal, but I'm going to make a better deal. No, he's not. No, he's not. It's the same. He's just a con artist, right? He's a snake oil salesman. It's exactly what he said about Paris. And he is just alienating everybody on the planet and isolating the United States and freeing uh, Iran up to get Rekha back into its nuclear weapons program, which at one time it was pursuing. At any rate, here he is yesterday in the diplomatic room uh, making the big announcement.
5: In just a short period of time, the world's leading state sponsor of terror will be on the cusp of acquiring the world's most dangerous weapons. Therefore, I am announcing today that the United States will withdraw from the Iran nuclear deal.
1: And, of course, he says, right, what that means is sanctions go back on Iran. But listen carefully, not just
5: Iran. We will be instituting the highest level of economic sanction. Any nation that helps Iran in its quest for nuclear weapons could also be strongly sanctioned by the United States.
1: Right. So that's one of the consequences of putting the sanctions back on Iran. He said it's not just on Iran. It's on any country that's doing business with Iran, which he will argue is helping them resume their nuclear weapons program, All right, which is not maybe not directly, but just doing business with them. And that means we could be, take him literally, We could be imposing sanctions, not just on Iran, but on France and on Germany and the UK, who have resumed doing some kind of business with Iran in the last three years since this agreement was signed. So he's not just declaring war on Iran, he's declaring war on our oldest and strongest allies in Europe. And again, Donald Trump making this phony, phony promise about, you just watch. They're going to come crawling to us, begging for a new deal.
5: They are going to want to make a new and lasting deal, one that benefits all of Iran and the Iranian people. When they do, I am ready, willing, and able.
1: I mean, does anybody believe that? No. I mean, right. I, I, I can just see here are the mullahs. They're all lining up at the gate of the White House. Coming in, oh, please, Donald, oh, please, give us a new deal. Oh, please, we really want a new deal, please, Donald. Oh, yeah, come on, it's not going to happen. Why would anybody believe anything that this idiot says? And, right, he can't help but, once again, just like he did all during the campaign, trash this deal, the old deal.
5: The agreement was so poorly negotiated... That even if Iran fully complies, the regime can still be on the verge of a nuclear breakout in just a short period of time.
1: There's so many things wrong with this deal. And again, we'll talk about it in a lot more detail with uh, Joe Sony when he gets here just about a half an hour from now. But I mean, uh, just, just, just going down uh, a few of the items, as I, as I mentioned Donald Trump, by doing this, rejects the advice of all of our allies. And I was there at the White House when Emmanuel Macron stood right alongside of Donald Trump, and Macron made the very, very persuasive argument that even a kindergarten kid could understand. Look, of course this isn't a perfect deal. We recognize that. But what makes more sense is to remain in this deal and then work on the other issues that we do care about with Iran. But at least not scrap this deal because of all those other issues, and there are a lot of them, Iran's support of uh, terrorism, terrorist uh, some organizations, Iran's involvement in Syria, Iran's involvement in Yemen, whatever, those other issues, right? Um, Those are very important issues. but. What they did with this Iran nuclear deal is they sorted out, they looked at all of them and said, what's the number one most, most serious threat? The number one most serious threat is that Iran looks like it's got all the t- makings of making a nuclear bomb and, and, and really developing a nuclear arsenal. Let's deal with that one, the most serious threat, and take care of that one, and then we'll get to all the rest of these. And that's what the Iran nuclear deal did and they got rid of their centrifuges and they put their nuclear weapons program on hold impossible to pick up again for at least 15 years that was the strength of this deal so for donald trump to reject all of our allies and do that is just really senseless and again dangerous and again, and the other thing that's wrong with it is again there's no plan b no plan b they don't what happens now Donald Trump doesn't know. John Bolton doesn't know. Mike Pompeo doesn't know. Nobody knows. I mean, Iran could now, without pulling out, the deal is done. It's over. There ain't no deal. Iran could tomorrow order more centrifuges and start down the path to build a nuclear weapons again. And by the way, uh, were they living up to the deal? Absolutely. It was just about within the last two weeks that Dan Coats, who's the director of national intelligence, and Mike Pompeo, who was then the director of the CIA and is now the new secretary of state, both of them in front of Congress said there was, get this, this is very important, zero evidence that Iran was in violation of this nuclear deal and all kinds of evidence that Iran was complying with the nuclear deal. So this deal, they were in compliance with it, and yet Donald Trump just ripped it up yesterday. Again, our intelligence agencies, Dan Coats, Director of National Intelligence, Mike Pompeo, now Secretary of State, both disagree with Donald Trump,
3: publicly
1: disagree with the president, Saying Iran was not cheating on this deal. No, nevertheless, uh, Donald Trump uh, ripped it up. Uh, and you know, the number, uh, let's, let's just be honest. The number one reason? Because this is a deal made by Barack Obama. That is the only thing that drives the Trump train. That's why he ripped up the Paris Accords, that's why he ripped up uh, the TPP, uh, and that's why he's now ripped up the Iran nuclear deal. But the consequences of this are more serious uh, than, than anything else, and uh, it just uh, ah, makes you wonder again uh, how we can survive. But again, if you think this is a, it's just a, a kind of a, an embarrassing sort of moment we've got to get through, uh-uh, uh-uh. This guy is dangerous, and what he did yesterday is his most serious um, foreign policy decision, certainly so far— just one quick little note before we take a break. The, the uh, Washington Post points out that just outside the, today, uh, just outside of Vienna, there's um, a little cluster of buildings that, where there are scientists that work. And what they are doing is every day they go there and they have all these cameras that are in Iran's nuclear labs all over Iran. And these scientists are there every day monitoring everything that's going on. They have equipment there that monitors everything that goes in and out of all these facilities. This is how they know that Iran's in compliance, right? That that entire operation, of course, is going to be shut down today. And so we will not know what's going on. Right now we know every minute everything that's going on everywhere in Iran that has anything to do with nuclear power. Uh, all of that. And today, it's all shut down because... That's amazing. Yeah, right. So all those eyes and ears that we have inside of Iran as to what's going on, which Iran agreed to, and every once in a while those inspectors actually go on site, right? But in the meantime, they've got these monitors, bigger than NSA, monitoring everything. It's all gone today because of Donald Trump. One man. What damage one man can do. Darren Lynn joins us next. Uh, Jeff Sessions on the warpath for Donald Trump. Kind of got buried in all the rest of the news about Michael Cohen and Stormy Daniels and Iran. But it's very, very important. We'll get back to that when we come back. Take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. But we'll be mm, right back on this Wednesday, May 9th. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Here we go on a Wednesday, Wednesday, May nine. How about it? Great to have you with us today. It is the Bill Press Show. We are live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., joining you with all the help of the members of the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, the UFCW members under President Mark Perrone, a proud union family that feeds, serves, and provides for America's hardworking families. Check out their website at ufcw.org. Thank them for their support and their good work across uh, the country. Uh, and a little reminder that um, my new book, From the Left: A Life in the Crossfire, is out with endorsements from Nancy Pelosi, Jerry Brown, Rosa DeLauro, Maxine Waters, even Tucker Carlson, Joe Scarborough, Anderson Cooper, and of course Bernie Sanders. Check it out at our website at the Bill Press Show. Dot com. Joining us in studio, Daryl Lynn covers immigration issues for Vox, uh, and it's good to have you back in studio. Nice to see you. Great to be on. Go nuts! They're sort of in a little roll these days.
0: Oh man! After I, uh, a
1: slump, but the, what they did—they they started wrote, what,
2: out not great, man. I was really worried. They started out
1: good and then they slumped. Yeah. Everybody's
0: injured. can I, I could talk about this for the next half hour, same. believe me. Same. Okay, same.
1: but they won about seven in a row, right? Yeah, it's, they're, they're like yeah. nine
0: in one now. It's it's wonderful. Yeah. It's great, and we're gonna have everybody come back healthy. It'll be great.
1: All right. Okay. Very good, there, uh, We've been at it for a little bit here, stirring up some uh, comments, Peter.
2: Yes, indeed, we're on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Uh-huh. Uh, catching up on some comments from yesterday, because we talked about Orrin Hatch saying that oh, uh,
1: yeah. John yeah.
2: McCain should allow Donald Trump at his funeral. Uh, Susan Shepard, and we and we talked about John McCain, talking about the regrets he's had, including Sarah Palin. Susan Shepard says, I wonder how many of McCain's four Navy plane crashes he regrets. Oh. Wow, <laughs> it's awfully Trumpian of, of, of one of our commenters. Yeah. Uh, also this morning... Uh, about the Iran deal, Terry says there is and always has been a Plan B. Bill, Plan B is actually war.
1: Oh, I didn't really yeah. think
2: about that. <laughs> which that's it's not very doesn't really help me uh, feel much better. I would
1: have Plan B would be impeachment, but anyhow.
2: There's right. that. Uh, and KG says Trump pulling out of the Iran deal makes me sick to my stomach. The U.S. is not doing any the United States not doing anything about it makes me furious. If you have a comment. Find us on Twitter, at BP Show, at b.
1: Uh, I didn't mention that uh, yesterday we were saying we hadn't heard anything from Barack Obama about this, which is true. We didn't until yesterday when it happened. Uh, he did uh, lament it and say it was a serious, serious mistake, which it was. Um, so uh, uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions mm-hmm. out in uh, it's on the West Coast somewhere. What's San that? Diego. San Diego. Mm-hmm. Um yesterday or the day before. Uh, and he seems to be, you know, the avenger, right? I mean, he's the avenging angel for Donald Trump on yeah. immigration. And he told people out there, yep, I'm on, I'm on fire and so is Donald Trump. The president has made clear he's on fire about this thing. He's not happy about it. And uh, I think the entire government's getting the message. Uh, He says, man, there are so many people here now already, we don't need any more immigrants, period.
4: 11 million people are here already, illegally. (sighs) That's more than the population of Portugal or Georgia.
1: Yeah, (laughs) the whole population of Portugal. Portugal or Georgia. Georgia, yeah. mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, And uh, are we mean enough to break up families? Damn right we are. If you're smuggling a child, then we're
5: going to prosecute you and that child will be separated from you, probably, as required by law. Uh, if you don't want your child to be separated,
3: then don't bring him across the border illegally. It's not our fault. Mm-mm.
1: Not our fault. What's going on here?
0: So this is kind of the completion of a policy that Sessions announced a few weeks ago, that they are going to start prosecuting in criminal court Everybody who crosses the border illegally. So that's if you present yourself for asylum at a port of entry, like at the San Ysidro border crossing, like the caravan did a few weeks ago, that's legal. They, they are not doing anything about that officially. Uh, but if you go cross the border and then present yourself to a border patrol agent, you've crossed the border illegally. Uh, even if you present yourself for asylum, mm-hmm. you will get prosecuted for illegal entry, which is a federal misdemeanor. And if you're coming as a family, then they will take the parent, prosecute the parent, put the parent in criminal detention, and treat the child as a quote-unquote unaccompanied minor, which is the same thing they do for kids who come across without adults who are under 18. Those are sent to the custody of Health and Human Services.
1: what, What happens to those kids?
0: Um, in theory, they are placed with relatives uh, or other sponsors, or they are kept in, you know, Health and Human Services custody until a sponsor is found. In practice, the uh, officials have admitted that they've lost track of about fifteen hundred minors over the last year and a half. And what are we talking there have about? been cases of like some three-year-olds of those,
1: or ten-year-olds.
0: Uh, there's a lot of these are teenagers. Um, so in in you know in cases where there is actual labor trafficking um, but those we're talking about you know 15 16 17 year olds um but it's still not a great look to say the least that this is this arm of the federal government has been overloaded for a really long time and that the federal government is now putting more kids into the situation who have parents who you know are are elsewhere in the system What DHS has told me is that they are going to make sure that once parents have been convicted and have served the sentence for illegal entry, which is a pretty short sentence, it's six months maximum, um, and, and often a lot shorter than that, once that sentence is over, they'll make sure that the kids are reunited with the parents in custody. But that assumes that they know where the kids are. And again, this is a totally different government department. Let's
1: talk about numbers. I mean, you get the impression, listening to Sessions... That there's a flood of people crossing the border illegally, like there was maybe back in the nineties. What's what's the truth?
0: That's there's such a huge difference between the number of people who are crossing now and the number of people who have crossed historically. Um, you know, the nineties or even straight through two thousand six, um, we've got something like you know a, a third as many people as have come through historically half as many people as have come through you know as came through under the bush administration they sent the national guard to the border with like you know a fraction as many people as bush or obama had when they sent the national guard to the border under their presidencies the difference is that a because a lot of that change has been in adults coming across independently uh you know that's been a pretty elastic population that's way down so a greater share of those who remain are children and families, especially from Central America and especially seeking asylum. And that's it's not very easy for the government to deter those people from coming because they're seeking asylum. They're often, you know, in lethal peril in their home countries. So they've had to adopt these kind of extra policies of mandatory detention. You know, they they can't because they can't just prevent people from coming and can't return them immediately because that would violate international law. They have to do these other things to send the message that they're you're not going to get favorable treatment if you come to the U.S.
1: Do some of these people seek asylum in Mexico or any other countries? But I'm just thinking Mexico because that's certainly a lot closer than the United States.
0: So this is a regional problem. Um, asylum... Seeking throughout the region has increased. And we're not even talking about the massive asylum problem, uh, the refugee problem in Venezuela, which is really overwhelming neighboring countries and which makes the reaction up in the U.S. to Central America look a little bit skewed. But the problem with Mexico is, A, Mexico's treatment of Central American migrants is extremely questionable. There have been lots of international reports of human rights abuses, of widespread torture or Prevalent torture and rape of, Mex- of Central American migrants who get apprehended. And while Mexico's asylum laws are theoretically more generous than the United States, in practice, that doesn't always pan out. So you're dealing with both the kind of questionable safety of living in Mexico, some parts of which do have extremely high crime rates and where people could be under threat. And the idea of putting yourself in the at the mercy of a Mexican government that hasn't always been inclined to show it.
1: Mm-hmm. So um, I'm curious about Sessions. You know, uh, he does seem to have taken this on as his mission. It's almost as if we know how much um, Donald Trump doesn't like him and keeps, you know, tweeting about how weak he is and everything. The Sessions almost is like he's. It looks like he's out there trying to prove how tough he is. Right on, he's chosen this as the one issue where he will um, be Donald Trump's front man on immigration, as tough as he can be.
0: So Sessions is doing a lot, especially on immigration. I mean, bear in mind he's doing this at the same time that he's pursuing you know, his sanctuary lawsuits against California. Yeah. There's a lot of quieter stuff he's doing that actually could have a really, really big impact on the immigration court system, which is the biggest obstacle to deporting people efficiently right now because ICE is arresting more people, but because most people have to go through immigration court before getting deported, the the bottlenecks that have existed in the immigration court system are really becoming a problem. So Sessions is doing some stuff there that could force more people through quickly and that lawyers are worried could you know, prevent due process that isn't getting a lot of attention. Uh, this is something where I think he's noticed that the president really cares about it. Donald yeah. Trump yeah. saw the caravan news, freaked right. out about the caravan right. news. Right. Like Sessions said, he's on fire about it. So Sessions sees this you know, convenient Venn diagram nexus between the things he can actually accomplish as attorney general and the things that Donald Trump cares about. A lot of the things Donald Trump wishes Jeff Sessions could do as attorney general, Jeff Sessions legally cannot do. And to see something where Sessions is already, you know, he already understands what can be done to crack down on immigration, just to, to kind of take that opportunity, You know, he's doing a lot of public speeches about it. I think in the understanding that this is something that if the boss sees him on television, the boss will say, ah, he's doing a good job.
1: Right. Okay. So uh, we've talked about people who are coming here now with their and a lot of them, family members coming, seeking asylum or coming across illegally, illegally. But uh, you've been writing about and The Washington Post has a big story about this this morning, too, um, where the United States has been deporting. Um, but some five hundred, three hundred thousand people. They're not from...
0: deporting them yet. They're stripping oh. legal status from them over the next okay. eighteen months. These so are that people they could from Honduras,
1: from um,
0: El Salvador is El the Salvador, biggest. Right. Um, Honduras and Haiti, but have Haiti. about five hundred yeah, or right. fifty thousand people apiece. Uh, they've also stripped. Now, these are people who came
1: people. here who were given asylum at one time, right? Or- well,
0: it's temporary protected status, which is a okay. different yeah. thing. And this is why it's gotten so—the uh, It's the Trump administration and the critics are talking past each other on this one. Uh, because temporary protected status is ostensibly given after like a natural disaster, like in the case of Honduras, it was given after Hurricane Mitch in 1998— The administration Haiti was after Haiti was after the earthquake earthquake, in twenty ten. Yeah, Um, El Salvador was after a a a hurricane in like two thousand one, I think. But there's, you know, in all those cases, ostensibly those are natural disasters. So it's not really accurate to say that Honduras has not recovered from a nineteen ninety eight hurricane. The problem is that that doesn't make Honduras a safe place to return to. So. A bunch of presidents have just kind of quietly kicked the can down the road on this one. Uh, These people can't apply for more permanent legal status unless they otherwise qualify for it. So they've just been in this limbo state. And Donald Trump has said, well, that's not our problem. The reason we gave you status has, you know, it doesn't exist anymore. So we're going to we're going to strip your work permits, uh, strip your protection from deportation. You can apply for one last work permit for 18 months. He's. You know, these are all these staggered things. So right now, how many
1: people are we don't about? Th- about three, three
0: thousand, three hundred thousand. I would say three hundred and fifty thousand. We don't have great numbers on this total.
1: Uh, total from all these countries. Yes, because
0: right. most and mostly been from here. These three. How many years? By definition, you have to have had have to have been in the country before the reason that TPS was granted. So in the case of Honduras we're talking about people who have been here by definition for 20 years. Many of them have been here longer than that, although not a ton. Um, so all of these are people who have been in the country for decades, working legally a say, large percentage right. so of them homes. They,
1: they, they have work have permits. Mm-hmm. They have jobs. Yep. They have families. They're, they're members of the community. Yeah. Right. And Donald Trump wants to round them all up?
0: Well, this is where it gets tricky.
1: And deport them?
0: You know, if you think about it, we're not, there are 11 million people in the U.S. without papers. Not all of them are getting rounded up at any given time. The Trump administration said, kind of officially refuses to admit that if you have a work permit now and lose it in the future, that you won't necessarily just leave the country the next day. They they are definitely treating it as if everyone's going to get on a plane and go. That's not true. Uh, A lot of these people will probably make the decision to stay in the U.S. and live as unauthorized immigrants. And we don't yet know how much effort the Trump administration is going to put into deporting them. But again, they can't deport people super efficiently right now. I guess what I'm going to do. what's
1: the threat? What's the risk? What's the danger? It's, What's, you know, why is this a?
0: Oh, oh the danger that, that they pose. Well, okay, so there are a, f- a couple different arguments being made.
1: We're not talking about people, 300,000 committing violent crimes, right? Right. So We're f- talking probably 99.99999% of them who are contributing members of the
0: society. So, philosophically, the Trump administration really doesn't like parts of the immigration system that the don't mean the government is selecting you as an individual to come to the U.S. And in the case of TPS, definitionally, that's not the case, because all of these people were either in the U.S. on temporary visas or were unauthorized. So... They don't look like the kind of merit-based immigrants that Trump wants. Even if you, it, even if you take the kind of co- racial implications maybe of that out, to,
1: I was going to say maybe it has to do with the color of their skin.
0: I, you know, I'm not. We
1: need more I, people here from Sweden.
0: I am not going to go there, but they well, don't he went have there. the like. Do-
1: Donald the, Trump went there,
0: right? So this, they're actually, this kind of is relevant because during the famous shithole countries meeting, the um, one of the provisions of that deal was. Wow, we have all of these people with temporary status who can't get green cards. Yeah. Maybe we should allow them to get green cards. Donald Trump soured on that provision when he found out that Haiti was on the list. He said we don't need any more people from Haiti, send them back, which like we don't need any more people from Haiti he doesn't really understand that these people are already in the US. But, you know, to to give the kind of most you know, most sympathetic read here, these aren't people who have high levels of education. They are making, you know, below average salary in a world where the Trump administration's argument is more of our immigrants should be making more money than the average American, not less. And they should be more educated and they should, you know, they should be entirely fluent in English as opposed to just speaking some English. These people don't fit that picture. But there's also the letter of the law. Whoa, argument whoa, 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 like, whoa, whoa. But
1: that is a racist, artificial picture that, that the Trump administration has put up there. Right. Basically I, um, saying... We don't want you to come here unless you can already speak English. We don't want you to come here unless you already are a millionaire, and we don't want you to come here unless you already have a doctorate. I mean, I mean, that's I'm, not, I'm not what immigration. I know, I'm no, no, but I'm saying, yeah, that's what they hide behind. But it's just outrageous, and it is racist, fundamentally racist.
0: I mean, there, there's also temporary protected status is one of those things where no one agrees it works perfectly well like absolutely no one was out there saying oh yeah this obviously counts as hurricane mitch is the reason that honduras's homicide rate is among the highest in the world like there's a disconnect between the political willingness to actually admit what the letter of the law was and the letter of the law and trump is going well we have the letter of the law uh the problem is that congress which used to back you know in the 20th century would often do these like little changes to law that would benefit various countries populations hasn't been able to do anything on immigration for a very long time. So the executive branch was just kind of in the position of saying, well, no one really wants these people to leave. So we're going to extend their temporary status. So it's I think it's it's less that the Trump administration is, you know, violating the letter of the policy than that. This policy hasn't been functioning for a while.
1: Uh, my take on it is pretty simple. I think Donald Trump realizes that immigration is the one issue where he can keep his base happy as long as he just is as hard ass as he can on immigration and, and doesn't give an inch and then his base will be happy. And so he can go off and have as many affairs with prostitutes as he wants and pay him as much money as he wants and lie about it. But as long as he's he's a hard ass on immigration. But, but that's I do the want to ask you about this. Like- what's it?
0: you know, I his base absolutely cares about Jeff Sessions giving speeches at the border and about being tough at the border. I don't see conservative media being like, yeah, we're kicking 300,000 people out of the country. That's not something that's getting attention. I, I don't disagree with you. You know, maybe if they found out about it, his base would be super happy. But it's always fascinating to me when the president is doing hardline things on immigration that aren't Getting oxygen among the people you think would be celebrating them. That says to me there's something more complicated going on.
1: What's happening with the dreamers? What is the present status of the dreamers? You know, here's a program, by the way, I would argue, where Donald Trump at one point said, I love the dreamers. We're going to take care of the dreamers. Don't worry. You know, but then those people around him, like John Kelly, said, No, 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 you piss off your base if you do anything good for the dreamers. And so Trump walked away from it. But what is the present status? We, know, we haven't heard about the dreamers for a month at least.
0: Um, so there's uh, the current status is basically tied up in court uh, right now under a court order from January. If you have a work permit under the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program, you can apply for a two year extension of the, that work permit. Those extensions are being processed. A y- if, judging, you're in, you re- if you're in, you
1: can. If you're in, you can. How about out. if you're not in? If can you're you-
0: not in, you are currently out of luck. However, a judge in the District of D.C. Uh, yeah. last month, mm-hmm. yeah, in, in April, said, I don't think any of this was was constitutional. I'm giving the Trump administration 90 days to come up with a better reason to end this program. And if they can't, they're going to have to start processing new applications from people who weren't already in but qualify as well. That 90-day deadline expires at the end of July. Meanwhile, in Texas and a bunch of other states finally did what they'd been threatening to do you know last year they were last year they pressured the Trump administration to end the DACA program by saying we're going to sue you because we think it's unconstitutional they the Trump administration tried to end the program and then the courts held it up so now we have this bizarre situation where the Texas and a bunch of other red states are suing over the uh, suing the Trump administration from the right And trying to get a court to rule that government officials cannot process the exact same Mm -hmm. applications Mm -hmm. that other judges are ordering them to process, which, if that happens, is going to be an absolute legal cluster disaster.
1: Thank you for saying (laughs) cluster disaster. That's a family show. Uh, (laughs) But in the meantime, um, the Dreamer program does exist, right? Uh, its future certainly is uncertain. Uh, Donald Trump has been unable to end it.
0: And what that means is that even if, you know, even if Trump ultimately gets the rulings in the courts that he wants and they have to, they they are allowed Mm -hmm. to stop granting applications, that the end of it, you know, work permits are going to expire later than anybody thought and slower than anybody thought. So it's going to be sure. this quiet, slow death.
1: Right. Okay. Darlene. thanks for bringing us up to date on all these immigration issues. All right. Uh, and she does that at Vox, of course, which you can follow at Vox.com. Again, the consequences of Donald Trump's action yesterday. Nobody knows it better than Joe Cirancione. Plow shares fun. Joins us next on The Bill this Press Show.
2: This is The Bill Press Show.
1: And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support.
2: Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show.
1: Yes, indeed. Donald Trump gives Iran a green light to start rebuilding nuclear weapons. What do you say, everybody? It is The Bill Press Show on a Wednesday, Wednesday, May 9. Welcome to the program. Great to see you. Always good to have you with us. And today is such an important news day. Uh, and um, we got uh, just the man to uh, tell us all about it here, uh, joining us uh, in studio for this next uh, half hour. Joe Sirovicioni from the Plowshares Fund. Hello, Joe. Good morning, Bill. It's good to see you. Great to be here. Yeah, how about it? Lots. Of, uh, we were <sighs> it's afraid. Grim day. We were it's afraid it day. would come to this. Yeah. Yeah. And here it is. But Joe's going to be with us this half hour uh, to bring us up to date. Uh, And what is that plan B, yes, that the uh, president has up his sleeve that he had talked about yesterday that Iran is going to be begging us, begging us to to, uh, undertake? We'll find out all about that. We join you from our studio on Capitol Hill, joining you all across this great land of ours on the radio, on television, and, of course, online. And we invite your comments uh, on Twitter, at BP Show talk about the Iran deal. Also, a little bit later, we'll get back into what happened with all the uh, pri- in the primaries uh, yesterday and uh, what we can expect uh, from today's hearing in the Senate Intelligence Committee on the confirmation hearing for Gina Haspel as the next director of the CIA. Stay tuned. Send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. Get ready to jump into it with Joe Circioni, But first, this it is Peter Ogburn, um, Court Press.
2: Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news yesterday. Uber had their Uber Elevate Summit, which showcases prototypes for different uh, types of cars that they want to roll out for their ride-sharing service. And the big news is they announced they are going to introduce flying cars. <laughs> By the way, by the way, not only Wait, are they going let's to.
1: Let's get to the driverless car first. Well, uh, And then we get uh, uh, to the flying car.
2: Well, that's actually part of this. Oh, is because
1: this a, a flying driverless that's car? That's
2: where they're going to go. Uh-oh let, baby. Let, let me, Uh-oh, let me give you some of the details. So they <laughs> said that they hope to introduce this to riders within two to five years. Two to five years. B.S. Seems BS. awfully ambitious. And they said that they are going to be skyports, air stations, rooftops, or on the ground. And they said that they're going to be able to take 200 takeoffs and landings an hour or one every 24 seconds. They look like drones, the prototypes mm-hmm. that they showed. Uh, they, they have, like, four rotors. Um, they'll fly 1,000 to 2,000 feet above the ground. They will be piloted at first, and then they plan to roll out driverless flying Vehicles.
4: This is not going to end well.
2: No, I don't think so. <laughs> no. No. I think you're right.
1: Let me tell you something. <laughs> I use Uber a lot. The first time a driverless Uber car s- pulls out in front of my house, <laughs> I ain't getting in. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm certain if I get out there and there's some little drone hovering and I'm supposed to <laughs> hop up on hop it. Hop on? Let's go 2,000 yeah, right. feet up in the air? Yeah. I don't think so. No, I don't think so.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. I was- Let's talk some sports really quickly. Go to the NBA. Last night, the Western Conference Finals are now set. Houston Rockets beating the Utah Jazz and the Golden State Warriors beating the New Orleans Pelicans, meaning we will see a showdown, clash of the titans, the Golden State Warriors versus the Houston Rockets, arguably the two best teams in yeah, the NBA yeah. all season. Only one of them can advance to the NBA Finals, so we will see which one of them does it.
1: When set tonight.
2: It uh, doesn't start tonight. It actually starts in a couple days. I'm not, I, I'm not sure when the, the uh, for game one is. But, look, the Golden State Warriors have Steph Curry back. They're, they're looking pretty good, so who knows? And uh, we talked yesterday about how the Boy Scouts of America are no longer going to be yeah. the Boy Scouts no. of America. They're dropping the boy. Uh, the Mormon Church said yesterday they're ending their 105 relationship with the Boy Scouts of America at the end of next year. They say, quote, that the organization has gone from a U.S. centered con- U.S. centered institution to an international organization. So again, we're talking about globalism in the age of Trump. So no more Mormons <laughs> in the Boy Scouts.
1: They're ridiculous.
2: Take The Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show.
1: All right. Yes, indeed. Donald Trump saying uh, France, the U.K., Germany, China, Russia, they're all wrong, and I am right. Leaving the United States isolated again. On the Iran nuclear deal, uh, like he did on the Paris Accords. Hello, everybody. What do you say? It is Wednesday, Wednesday, May 9. This is The Bill Press Show. That's me, and you are part of it, nobody more important than all of you, our uh, listeners on uh, WCPT out in Chicago, all of our viewers on uh, Free Speech TV across the country and around the globe, and also all around the globe on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Thanks so much for being with us today. <clears throat> Uh, as we bring you the news of the day from our studio on Capitol Hill right here in Washington, D.C., with uh, Joe sirin from the Plowshares Fund as our guest. Uh, Donald Trump is tweeting all over the place today. Um, He is tweeting about uh, the media. I just have to point out this one. Wait a minute here. Come on, I just had it up. Mm -hmm. Peter, I lost it.
2: All right, let me me pull up, because I I, I think I know which one you're talking about. So Trump... Tweeted this morning
1: about the media. About I just the had media, it up. he yeah. says
2: the fake news is working overtime. Right. Just reported that despite the tremendous success we are having with the economy and all things else, ninety-one percent of the ninety-one percent of the network news about me is negative. <sighs> mm-hmm. Why do we he work? Says, why do we work so hard in working with the media when it is corrupt? Take away credentials? Ooh. Question mark.
1: Yes, that's the one that got
2: That's
1: take away credentials. Take away the credentials. Right. So if you write if a part of the White House press corps like I am and you write a, a critical story, well then you could lose your press credential. How's that?
4: Yeah, it's a privilege, not a right.
2: Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. right. I'm not sure that that's how the first amendment works. <laughs> <laughs> but let him figure that out, I guess. I don't know.
1: Uh-huh. Again, we uh, we say we're not going to play this game, but what if during the Obama years, right, they had said, uh-uh. "Oh yes." Yeah. Oh, let's see. You're here from Fox News? No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah, you're. You, you can. You're no Christian longer. Christian Broadcast Network. Oh yeah, no, no, you're out. You're out. Yeah.
4: yeah. We Beacon, out. done.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel
4: like
2: I feel like this is, was a purely like a trolley yeah. date type of tweet, right? Like people are going to get really, really upset about it, and Donald Trump's not going to do anything about it. All right. It was two it's o'clock. Working.
1: Yeah, two o'clock yesterday afternoon. Uh, the president uh, stepped in a little shortly after two, but. Uh, scheduled for two, stepping into the diplomatic room. Joe, you and I both heard him and watched him say this. He uh, made uh, the announcement that we knew was coming.
5: In just a short period of time, the world's leading state sponsor of terror will be on the cusp of acquiring the world's most dangerous weapons. Therefore, I am announcing today that the United States will withdraw... From the Iran nuclear deal.
1: Uh, and he said, Joe, that the uh, deal wasn't working, that Iran was in violation of the deal, and the deal actually um, made America less safe uh, than no deal at all. This, what, what, what's the truth?
4: This speech was an avalanche of lies. I was trying to keep track of all the falsehoods. In that one sentence, he had three just by, in that one sentence, he just packed them in. And it, it's become an all-too-familiar pattern, so we've become a little used to this. You know, just a, a fantasy world, lie upon lie, the complete rejection of the advice of his 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 national security advisors, except for a couple of hand-picked new kids in the, in mm-hmm. the White House. Complete disregard for the opinion of our allies, complete disregard for the history of The construction of an anti-nuclear regime in the in the world, he throws all that aside. He has no plan for what to do next. All he is is Susan Rice called him in the former ambassador Susan ambassador Susan Rice called him in the New York Times today. Our commander, our wrecking ball in chief. Mm. This is what he does well. He wrecks. He wrecks things. No, there is nothing fatally flawed about the Ir- Iran agreement. Iran is not in violation of the agreement. Our own State Department just certified that last week. The International Atomic Energy Agency just certified it again this morning. They're not on the cusp of getting a nuclear weapon. This deal keeps them years away from that possibility, and there's a, a, a promise in the deal never to acquire n- nuclear weapons. No, he did this for personal spite, for revenge, for the same reason he allegedly had prostitutes on a bed in Moscow. He, he just wants to reign on all things Obama. He This was one of Obama's signature foreign policy accomplishments, and he wanted to tear it down the way he tore down his immigration reform, his health care reform, his climate change, his, uh, his environmental protections. He's out to, to wreck Obama's legacy. This was much more personal Than most people realize
1: right I mean uh, it it, it, is I think it's worth underscoring what you said about it was only maybe 10 days ago that uh, now the new Secretary of State Mike Pompeo then the head of the CIA Dan Coats the head of our National Intelligence Agency both told Congress at, at that same hearing that there is zero evidence that iran is in non-compliance meaning there's all kinds of evidence that they are complying with the terms of the agreement
4: yes yes this i mean this deal worked and is working they had to rip out two-thirds of their centrifuges export all their uranium gas they pulled out the core of their plutonium reactor drilled it full of holes and filled it with concrete they are under the tightest inspection regime ever negotiated i mean this thing works you, if, when Trump asked his national security team at the beginning of his administration about this, because this was a campaign promise, to a person, they said, stay in the deal. And so one of the things he did was he started to get rid of some of those persons. Mm-hmm. When he fired Rex Tillerson, you remember his comments on the way to the helicopter yeah. was, yeah. Uh, uh, the Iran deal, we had a different view. He got rid of H.R. McMaster, his uh, his uh, his national security advisor. because McMaster was in favor of the Iran deal. He brings in Mike Pompeo and John Bolton, and this is where the it really gets worrying, because they're not ju- just toadies. They're not with, just willing to go along with what the, the president wants. No, they've been advocating this for a long time. Mm-hmm. Not just get rid of the deal, but the way to solve the problem is to go to war with Iran, and that's what has many of us worried. This is just step one in an ambitious campaign to actually do what John Bolton has wanted to do for many years, go to war with one of the largest states in the Middle East. So is Plan B war? I think it is, because what they say is Plan B doesn't actually exist. This is a little kind of inside Washington thing. I read the transcript of the State Department backgrounder. This is something that you've done many times in your career, right? And so the reporters go into the State Department, and they kind of fill in the gaps. You yeah, know, they usually, give,
1: sometimes they're off the record. Usually they're off the record, but they do that so, yeah, so they just, to give reporters more stuff to write about.
4: Well, yeah. today, yeah. read any reporter who was there. This was a disaster. The the reporters brought their A game. They kept pressing the State mm. Department. Well, what now? What now? And the and the what now is was about one paragraph thin. You know, it was like they had, we we're going to do this. They have no plan. They have no idea how to implement the crushing sanctions that the president promised. Just bear with me. The United States does not do business with Iran. Our firms, with a couple of exceptions, Mm -hmm. don't sell any products to Iran. So you can't sanction American companies. What you have to do is sanction foreign companies, the Europeans, the Japanese, the Chinese. And so this is the big issue. Is that what you're going to do now? You're going to put these so-called secondary sanctions on Europe and China. And, and and of course, they the State Department didn't have a plan for how that was possibly going to work. They haven't even consulted with the Europeans about this. And so the whole thing starts to fall apart almost immediately. And you realize they don't really have a maximum pressure campaign for Iran. So that makes you suspicious about what is really going on. Are they trying to goad Iran into taking some kind of – action that could justify uh, uh, going to war with Iran. And then the plot gets a little more complicated. Clearly, this has all been coordinated with Bibi Netanyahu. Uh, I was
1: just going to raise that. Of course. Yeah, right.
4: So yesterday, right after the president makes his announcement, Israel conducts more airstrikes on Iranian positions in Syria. Remember, they did this a few days ago, Mm -hmm. killed Mm -hmm. seven Iranians. Yesterday, they killed five more Iranians, and Iran admits this. They, they... So you realize what's going on here is that a c- conflicts that are already going on with Israel and, and Iran, with Saudi Arabia and, and, and Yemen could flare up and could draw the United States into it, or if you believe, as I do, that John Bolton wants this, could provide an excuse for the United States to enter into into a war that the American public certainly doesn't want.
1: And of course, Bibi came up yesterday right afterwards in praising the the, the president for taking this action, right? There were three
4: countries in the world that praised us. Uh, Bibi Netanyahu, not, by the way, his military and intelligence establishment, Mm -hmm. his own military chief of staff said we should stay in the deal. The Israeli military does not want this fight. Bibi does. So it was Netanyahu in Israel, um, Saudi Arabia, and United Arab Emirates. No one else in the world wanted us to do this. Our closest allies lobbied against us. France sent their their president. Germany, their chancellor. The United Kingdom, their foreign minister, just on Monday, begging the president to stay in the deal. He just blew him off.
1: Okay, and I was there with the when the president of France met with. Uh, Donald Trump at the White House, and they gave their joint news conference. Uh, And I thought that uh, Emmanuel Macron made a very, very compelling argument, uh, basically saying, Yes, Mr. President, we all agree this is not a perfect deal. But here's a better plan. Let's not rip this one up. Let's kind of keep this one, and then let's build, add to it, and deal with some of the, with Iran, with some of these other issues like. What are they doing in Syria? What are they doing with Hezbollah or whatever? Donald Trump stood there, even though he had his earpiece in so he could hear the translation. I don't think he understood a word of what Macron was saying. No,
4: I doubt very much that uh, Trump has read the deal, has any idea what the deal actually does. Uh, And and part of this is his careful campaign, and this really gets to the duplicity of many here in Washington and it helps you understand, you know, how, how this town operates. They, they knew that the deal was working, so they couldn't kill it outright. So what they had to do was talk about its flaws, its imperfections, it didn't do this. And they do this elaborate year-long, two-year-long campaign on, on fixing the deal. Oh, you know, we don't want to kill the deal. We want to mm-hmm. fix it. And you have little well fend- funded think tanks in town, mostly related to APAC, the uh, American Israeli Political Action Committee, things like the Foundation for the Defense of Democracy, or a couple of small little think tanks, Institute for Science and International Security. And these groups of experts are saying, oh, here's a flaw. We have to fix it. Here's a fix. We have to fix it. The Europeans have to fix the deal. So the Europeans come. And they offer a dozen different fixes. We'll do this. And that's what Macron was doing. He had yeah, a plan. Right. No, no, no. Very Boris Johnson, the, the conservative foreign minister of the conservative European uh, right. UK government, they have a plan for how to fix it. Trump isn't interested. No, it was all a sham. It was all a sham. Just to build up the idea that this is a fatally flawed plant, and then he kills it and does what he wants it to do in the beginning.
1: One of the strongest arguments I heard yesterday, and I forget what I was watching, waiting for the president to, to, to speak, was um, that there are these other issues. And at the time, when John Kerry was negotiating with us and, and the other the yeah. others, our European allies, they realized, yeah, there's this, there's this collection of issues with Iran that we all want to deal with. But the number one uh, yes. most important is— Iran's nuclear weapons program, or potential, right? Um, And so if we can deal with that one, let's do that, and then we'll go back and deal with all the rest of these.
4: Because the truth is, look, they they do a lot of things in the region we don't like. uh, We don't support them ideologically. We don't like what they're doing to their own people. But, you know, there's lots of governments like that. And this is troubling, but it is not an existential threat to us. What is Iran with a nuclear weapon? Yeah. And to our allies. Right. So that's the problem you want to fix. And you don't want to, to mix it up with these other issues because that gives Iran negotiating leverage. That means that they could demand that you give them more on the nuclear issue in order for, say, a human rights uh, reform or a improve no. our relations with Israel reform. And you don't want to do that. You want right. maximum leverage in the negotiations, so keep it to that one issue, and that's what worked.
1: All right, so then yesterday we heard, I thought it was clearly an echo of what we heard when he pulled out of the Paris Accords, that don't worry, uh, there's a new deal right around the bend here. And we don't even have to offer it because they're going to come begging for it. Here's Donald Trump.
5: They are going to want to make a new and lasting deal, one that benefits all of Iran and the Iranian people. When they do, I am ready, willing and able.
1: It sounds so good if you believe him, right?
4: It's a complete lie. Yeah. There's not a chance in that, hell that that's going to
1: happen. Right. That these mullahs are going to line up in front of the White House saying, please, Donnie, give us a new deal. I mean, yeah. Uh, the New York Times lead, lead editorial today on the opinion page. Where is that better deal? Yeah, They're talking about Paris. He, he made the same promise with Paris. We're yes. going to tear up Paris, but we're going to have a better deal, and we're going to put oh, it together. And, that and, was a year and a half ago. Where is it? And with TPP and, yes. and with yeah. DACA. Yes. Yes. You know, yeah.
4: Don't yeah. worry. I'm going to get rid of this, and right. I'm the deal maker.
1: Mm-hmm. 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 Right. Yeah.
4: No. It's it's, it's
1: so it's, there won't be a better deal. There won't be another deal. What is going to happen now? What is Iran going to do?
4: What 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 Trump is very good at is creating chaos, and you know some people think this is actually a theory that he has that he thrives in chaos that this works for him, and there might be some truth to that. So he's destroyed this institution. There's something, by the way, the Europeans have been working on this deal since 2003. So this is one of the crowning achievements of European diplomacy, and and Trump, in a fitted peak, has just smashed it. So, But th- has he? Does it really? Ah, it, so here's the- So can
1: it exist without the yes,
4: U.S.? Yes. It's like the cl- Climate Change Accord. So we pull out, which we've now done. This is a complete withdrawal. This yeah. was a, a harder decision than most people thought. We, they thought, we thought that he was going to give us- Europeans some wiggle room to negotiate a final fix, but no, so the deal is still there. So yesterday, the Europeans were meeting with the Iranians, and the Iranian President Rouhani was ready at the mic. It was midnight in Tehran, but he was ready to go, and he said, we'd like to stay in the deal if we can get the benefits that the deal offers us. Now, remember, this is a deal where they gave up most of their nuclear program and agreed to these restrictions in exchange for economic benefits. So the, the Iranians saying, OK, can Europe, Russia, China give us these economic benefits? And that's what the Europeans are going to try and do. It's going to be tough, though.
1: But, but the, the president, and you pointed out, in his sanctions, he said, basically, we're going to apply these sanctions if he follows through with that to any country that's doing business with Iran.
4: Exactly. So now you've set up a clash not between the United States and Iran, but between the United States and Europe, between yeah. the United States and China. Well, Cuz yeah. they're going to say we're going to do continue to do business and the president's going to say then we're going to sanction your banks, we're going to sanction your your oil companies and and so you, and that's that's a situation a, a recipe for chaos.
1: We're going to yeah, I mean just imagine. We're going to put sanctions on <laughs> Germany and France and the UK
4: Yes, and in order for them to avoid that, those countries are going to have to pass new laws, new regulations, shielding their companies from the United States. So that's the dynamic that starts to open up. Uh, I have my doubts that any of that can work, so I think the deal is going to fall apart, but it's possible, and that's what you're going to see diplomats working on for the next couple of months.
1: Uh, And if Iran wanted to, right, Uh, if they wanted to, he has given them a green light, to resume a nuclear weapons program. Right. See, this is in some Hasn't ways he?
4: for the hardliners in Iran. This is the best of all possible worlds. This is what they never liked the agreement. They didn't want to make a deal with America. Right. The, Ayatollah said, "You can't trust these people," and he's proven to be right. So now, Trump is getting is giving them a get out of the deal free card. They they can leave the deal without any penalties. They could kick out the inspectors, and they've said they might do this. We start. We, they restart their uranium enrichment program, not all at once, not a sprint for the bomb, not something that would give Israel or the United States a reason to strike, but little by little. You know, 100 centrifuges here, we're going to enrich to a little higher level there. And just as they did from 2003 until 2013, when we stopped it with, the, with negotiations, you do it gradually, but you do it steadily, and you get to the point where you could sprint for a bomb in a couple of months.
1: Um. So you and I exchanged emails about this, but, uh, but we didn't have uh, you in the studio. But I do want to ask you, uh, and Donald Trump referenced yesterday Bibi Netanyahu's big news conference oh, yeah. last week. Uh, that was just a total PR stunt, wasn't it?
4: And almost certainly coordinated with, with Mike the Pompeo Trump. Uh, being the interlocutor. But I mean, it didn't prove him. anything. There was nothing new here. You have to understand, the United States has exquisite knowledge of the program. We know all of that. There's nothing new here. Maybe some of that wasn't in the public domain, but we, the United States, our but intelligence apparatus, the, we have penetrated the Iranian nuclear program years ago. We know every. It's like that horror show, I know what you did last summer. Yeah. You know, yeah. we know what, what they did. There's nothing new here whatsoever.
1: And the key was the tense that was used, right? I mean. Ah, yes. Yeah, right. Yes. The Net- White House you know says this it? proves they have, and then they had to change it to had
4: without any explanation just but see that is John Bolton's view he has repeatedly said they have a covert program so that was not an accident that was mm. not simply a typo and it's part of their fear campaign they have this bomb you you know they might we can't tell you know this inspection regime isn't good enough them having a little bit of uranium enrichment is dangerous because, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And so we have to strike. We have no choice.
1: Now, meanwhile, uh, Trump did drop a bomb yesterday. It made a little news when he said that <laughs> for the second time, Mike Pompeo was on his way to North Korea. <laughs> yes. Nobody knew anything about it. Um, so that does tell us that there probably yes. is going to be a summit,
4: yeah. right? Uh, so I'm— I, what do you th- I'm not in the prediction business anymore, okay. but I want to tell you it looks very likely, very high probability. This summit's going to happen. Both Kim as as Pompeo referred to him the other day, Chairman Un. No, did he really? Yeah, oh, this is all over. That's the, a long way from Rocket Man. Uh, no, th- no. Well, it's <laughs> little not even, Rocket you have man. It's not even right. His Kim yeah. is his surname. It's yeah. not Un. Oh, I. Kim see. is not his first name. It's yeah, his last but, name. It's <laughs> Kim Jong Un. Anyway, this is what Pompeo. Is our former CIA yeah. director, now Secretary of State. Oh, but this, it's a little flurry over in the Twitterverse. Anyway, so <laughs> he's 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 got Kim has a lot vested in this. I mean, this is a, a huge oh, win for him, right? So he wants this to happen. So he's making it as easy. And he as met possible. again with the president of China now for the second time. A- exactly. So he's yeah. the the Koreans, North and South, are playing this beautifully. They are. They are driving yep. this train, and and now Trump, I think, is completely vested in this, and he wants it, and he wants to be. A, and you can see that he he wants to be able to show that his diplomacy works because it hasn't worked anywhere. His whole style of negotiation hasn't worked anywhere, and he wants to go to that summit, be on the world stage, and announce a victory. And I think that Kim is going to make some significant concessions. I think you it's very likely you are going to get a not-too-bad deal out, out, of, out of that summit, and that is— Trump is going to say, freeze me up to do all these other things over here. And I think Bolton has probably signed off on this. We'll He's willing to give North Korea in order to get Iran.
1: Well, I'm not in the prediction business either, but I will predict that before the summit, these three American prisoners will be released yes. from, from a North North Korean prison. Uh,
4: they may come back with Pompeo.
1: Uh, that I, may I, be what this trip is about. i bet you that's in the cards. Yeah. 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 Which, by the way, again, on Kim's part, would be brilliant. Right. Brilliant. And it's
4: another concession because, you know, that's, I thought that would be the gift he would give Trump at. He's given this up front. It's like four or five concessions Kim has already made
1: yeah. to yeah. pave the way for the right. summit because that's right. what
4: he wants. He now, wants the President of the United States in that photo op with him.
1: Now, the last time you were sitting here, you said that North Korea, whatever, if there is a summit, but one thing for sure, North Korea will never, never agree to. Give up its existing nuclear yes. weapons. Do you still believe that?
4: Yes. And what they'll do is they'll they'll,
1: they'll, well, but, but Kim they'll said commit w- to the process. Yeah. Kim said he was—that uh, d- <clears throat> denuclearization—did I pronounce that correctly? Yes, you did. Is on the table.
4: Yes, that's right. And they've said this for many years, and they've been talking about this since the 90s. And this is a particular term of art in the—denuclearization was invented for the Korean Peninsula. This is where it first came up. Nobody else talks about this mm, anywhere else, mm. and th- and what they mean is the entire peninsula. So f- for the north, that means we're not going to have a nuclear weapon program. What, what it, for the south, it means no U.S. nuclear weapons in the south. Now we don't have any anymore, but we used to have a thousand, by the way. Yeah, we huh. took we took the last ones out in ninety one, and the north still thinks we have some there. So they want inspections of that. They want no. They want to break the nuclear umbrella. So. No, the U.S. cannot include nuclear weapons in its defense commitments to South Korea. Mm -hmm. No exercises with strategic bombers or nuclear subs. No port visits with potentially nuclear-armed, et cetera. Oh, and of course, then you also need a peace treaty, and you have to have a pledge uh, never to uh, attack North Korea. It's actually not an unreasonable deal, but that's what North Korea wants. And you know what? Trump might be willing to give him that. Now, to implement that, you can't do that in a meeting. It's going to take a few years, a step-by-step process. But you could get that. If a Democrat tried to get that, they'd be crucified when they returned home. But Trump, a Republican, might be able to make and get that deal.
1: So you're you're saying, um, uh, and I kind of believe it myself, that Trump, yeah. crazy as it sounds, may succeed in no, with North Korea and in bringing some kind of unification or at least a non-wartime kind of footing to the Korean peninsula where previous presidents have not.
4: That's exactly what I'm saying. And I have to tell you, I'm in a bit of a minority here. A lot of my Democratic colleagues, what they fear most of all is that he's going to screw this up and he's going to come back with a, a bad deal that he's gonna try to sell. And I see a lot of my Democratic colleagues yeah. trying to get to the right of Trump on this. But I, I think I should write this op-ed. Donald Trump might stumble into a good deal with North Korea. It's, mm-hmm. it's possible.
1: It's possible. And if he does, will you give him credit? I will
4: give him credit. I will not nominate him for the Nobel Peace Prize, but I will definitely give him credit. And it's true. you know. No, I think you have Republicans to. Republicans can often make these kinds of historic breakthroughs that we Democrats can't. I mean, look at Nixon and China. Classic example. You know, Johnson couldn't have gone to China, right? Carter couldn't have gone to China. You needed the hard right hero to go make the deal. That's the only way you get it.
1: So you got the two guys with bad hair and uh, <laughs> uh, and, and famous fathers and yeah and, and <laughs> Prin- princelings. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's going to be a very <laughs> strange <Lings>. photo op. <laughs> <laughs> and, I can't wait for the photo op. I mean, I, I realize that there's all that this is fraught with peril and things could yeah. go wrong yes. and all that, but boy, am I looking forward to that photo op.
1: Chairman Kim and uh, Chairman Don, huh? <laughs>
2: yeah. All right. Yeah. Right.
1: God. Joe, thanks so much for coming in today. My pleasure, Bill. Thanks Thanks for for everything that you do there at the Plowshares Fund. Plowshares.org, the one and only Joe Sirensioni. Hey, an exciting new organization on the front dealing with uh, uh, justice issues and the Supreme Court. Brian Fallon is the new head of it, who uh, joins us here in studio. Coming up next. Don't go away. Quick break. We'll be right back. And thanks to the great Joe Sirensioni again.
4: Thank you.
2: Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. On a Wednesday, May
1: 9, uh, welcome back, everybody. The Bill Press Show, Billman here, Live from Washington, D.C. in our nation's capital and our studio on uh, Capitol Hill, running fast to keep up with all the news of the day. And we're brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees. Those good men and women who keep our federal agencies running a day in and day out, proud to wake up and go to work for America every day. I noticed in the Washington Post this morning uh, that uh, Trump is thanking our federal employees. Yeah, he's thanking them by proposing cutting their retirement plans by one hundred and forty-three and a half billion dollars. That the thanks they get for uh, doing the good work that they do. Um, that. Uh, is why we need uh, the good federal AFGE union under President J. David Cox to fight those kind of cuts, which they do on behalf of their members and all American working families uh, every day. We thank them for the support of the program. Salute their good work. Direct you to their website at AFGE.org. What's happening on the courts? Well, the Republicans are filling up the federal courts with a lot of Trumpers. What are Democrats doing about it? At last, we've got one organization that wants to do something about it. It's a brand-new organization called Demand Justice. Brian Fallon, you may remember him as press secretary of the uh, Clinton for President campaign. Uh, And a good friend and former neighbor here on the Hill uh, joins us in studio. Brian, it's good to see you. Thanks for having me back. Welcome back here uh, to the Hill. You've moved away. I don't know. Yeah,
6: my wife lured me out to Virginia last fall, uh, but I used to live three blocks from the studio here. I still miss it. It's still much easier to get to nationals games. uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How
1: about it? Enter the Bill Press studio. Exactly. So tell me, how did demand justice come about and what's your focus?
6: Well, um, after the Clinton campaign ended in 2016, I spent uh, a lot of 2017 doing what a lot of Democratic um, uh, operatives and. uh, folks with on the, the left have been opposite. focused on, mm. which is opposing Trump in any way possible. So I was involved in uh, fighting the health care repeal effort, fighting the tax bill when that was on the floor last year. I was involved with Priorities USA and trying to help some of those mm-hmm. special elections that took place in 2017. Right. But then at the tail end of 2017, I started to have a conversation with some people uh, in the Democratic Party that were just taking note of like one of the areas of unmitigated success for the Trump administration in year one of his presidency and the area that might have the most lasting legacy for him is this makeover that he's conducting of the federal judiciary. And the Federalist Society obviously has cared a great deal about this for years, and now they're using Trump as their vessel to remake the federal judiciary and install all of these extreme right-wing ideologues to the federal bench who'll be making—they're all in their 40s and 50s—they'll be making decisions— Uh, That lasts long after Donald Trump has been expelled. And by
1: the way, they're getting them confirmed. And they're getting them
6: confirmed on on, on largely party line votes, sometimes with a nominal amount of Democrats. But largely Mitch McConnell is changing the way that the Senate works in terms of forcing them through. And they set a record last year for the number of appellate court judges that they confirmed 12 for the circuit court, a historic number. Now it's 16, and just this week they're going to change the rules again. They're going to violate this sort of unspoken rule called the blue slip rule where Mm -hmm. usually uh, you couldn't move a judge without the approval Mm -hmm. of that judge's uh, two home state senators. It was a prerogative that was extended, a courtesy to every senator. And during the Obama administration, it was a big hindrance from Obama getting his people uh, confirmed. There were 18 judges that withered on the vine at the end of his administration. A lot of them would have represented historic firsts that would have brought needed diversity to the federal bench. And um, all 18 of them were blocked because Republicans in red states decided we're not going to return our blue slip. We're going to exercise a unilateral veto and not allow this uh, Obama nominee to move forward. Well, now the shoe's on the other foot. We have a Republican president, a Republican Senate, and Mitch McConnell and Chuck Grassley, who runs the Judiciary Committee for the Republicans, have decided they're not going to honor blue slips anymore. Mm. So Mm. today they're voting on a judge from Wisconsin, a former lawyer for Scott Walker. Uh, who, as you can imagine, is a right-wing ideologue as extreme as the rest of these Trump nominees. And Tammy Baldwin has said, I don't support his nomination going forward, and they're moving him to the floor anyway. This hasn't happened in like 30-something years.
1: Mm. Well, and this is most of this is happening under the radar. Totally. Right? Doesn't get a lot of attention. And meanwhile, Trump and Mitch McConnell are complaining about Democrats being such obstructionists. And every time, I, every time I hear them say, you know, well, we could get so much done if the Democrats were being so mu- so... I wish they were being obstructionist. Yeah. I wish uh, they had an opportunity to be uh, obstructionist. Well, but
6: Mitch McConnell, I mean, this is this is it's, such it's hip- a- hypocrisy because literally, as I mentioned, uh, the, yeah. the Republicans put a blockade. Everyone remembers the infamous case of Merrick Garland. What they did to Merrick Garland, holding up that confirmation process for a year so they could hold the seat open for Neil Gorsuch. But they literally blocked what would have been the first African-American woman to sit on the Third Circuit Court of Appeals, the first African-American judge from Indiana to sit on the Seventh Circuit. Now all these seats are open and they're filling them with right-wing conservative white males. Uh, there's an absolutely no diversity to these picks that Donald Trump is putting forward. And Mitch McConnell is only too happy to brag about it. This is literally what they're going to devote the floor agenda to for the rest of the year. They have no more policymaking uh, mm-hmm. at their fingertips mm-hmm. in terms of a legislative agenda. They're just going to do judges. And on the, what we're trying to say to the, our friends on the left is, yes, let's focus on taking back the House in 2018. Yes, let's tilt the Senate back to the Democrats if we can. Yes, let's work on nominating somebody great that can uh, beat Donald Trump in 2020. But even if we do all that, even in that best-case scenario, if we don't take account of what he's doing to the courts right now, we're going to be living with the effects of Trumpism for decades to come. You bet. Hey, I hate to
2: interrupt uh, because Mm -hmm. we just just to get this breaking news in because you and Joe were just talking about the North Korea situation. Breaking news. Yeah. Three American prisoners will be released from North Korea. You guys just predicted it. This is going to happen. Donald Trump (laughs) tweeting this morning, quote, I am pleased to inform you that Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is in the air and on his way back from North Korea with the three wonderful gentlemen that everyone is looking so forward to meeting. They seem to be in good health. So they are coming. They have been released, and they are coming back with Mike Pompeo, as you and Joe Cirincione just
1: I can't back. believe it was five minutes ago that yeah. I, that I moved said, quick. you watch. They are going to release those prisoners, and he's going to bring them back. It right? happened. Uh, you could you could
6: your crystal ball is very good,
1: but yeah, you, no, not you bad. could read that yeah. yeah and and yesterday when reporters asked the president and he said, we'll see what happens, we'll see what happens right sort of yeah, so played his hand. He knew he he knew at the time. Well, again, good for them for bringing them home. I remember when uh, President Clinton brought uh, a couple of prisoners home. I, mean, I think it was the president or Bill Richardson who brought them back from where was it? I think wasn't it Korea as well?
2: Yeah, and it was Bill Clinton. And it was Bill Clinton. Journalist, yeah. I remember he went went over there, and I remember the photo that came out of that was Bill Clinton refused to smile for any of the photos Mm, because that's what they wanted. They Mm -hmm. wanted an American president to go over there yeah. Make it look like they were buddies. And I remember all the photos
6: that came out, Bill Clinton was stone-faced. Which is very unnatural. <laughs> right, <for him>.
1: yeah. <laughs> right, right.
6: He was A politician? biting the inside of his cheek. A politician, yeah. not, smiling A politician
2: <laughs> not smiling for the camera.
1: Particularly <laughs> Bill Clinton. Particularly you know, him, yeah. yeah. Hey, how you doing? How you doing? <laughs> all right. Thank you, Peter. For that, was, that was important to get that uh, to get that in. Uh, so you, you, you mentioned uh, the Merrick Garland thing. um
6: Is part of your focus on the Supreme Court? It will be, so there's a lot of retirement chatter as happens when you approach the end of a Supreme Court term. And so there's been a lot of speculation that say Clarence Thomas may retire at the end of this year or God forbid that Anthony Kennedy, who's been the swing vote in so many of these important cases, that he might retire. And so we're getting ready for that. Uh, no Trump.
1: talk that Ruth Bader Ginsburg might retire.
6: No, and she even you know, publicly made it known that she was hiring two years worth of clerks as a sort of <laughs> symbol <laughs> signal to so that she wasn't going anywhere anytime
1: soon. As long as she keeps eating kale and doing know, and those pushups, and yes, doing and the pushups,
6: working out with the resistance bands, mm-hmm. yeah, she's not going anywhere. Uh, But so we're getting ready for that possibility. We'll probably know that within the next month or so. And, you know, Trump has already released his shortlist. So we know the 24 people that he'll be picking from. So we've got all of our research already conducted on all those 24 people. So in the past... On the left, we sort of stood up campaigns on an ad hoc basis whenever there's been a Supreme Court vacancy. The right has much more of a permanent infrastructure. The Federalist Society, of course, has existed for decades to create this conservative pipeline so that uh, there's nominees at the ready for whoever, uh, whenever a Republican president takes office. And then they have a C4 entity that is their sort of political entity that throws the elbows, uh, known as the Judicial Crisis Network, run by a very smart Mm. conservative lawyer, Carrie Severino. And whenever, whenever there's a vacancy, they come in with the big bucks from the corporate interests on the right. And in, in the case of Gorsuch, the the left was outspent 20 to 1 on trying to define Neil Gorsuch. So we're going to try to—we're still going to be outmatched and outgunned. We're never going to match the resources that exist on the right, but we're going to try to help stand up a little bit sturdier of a pushback effort if there is a Supreme that, Court That's interesting.
1: I hadn't thought of that before. They really do have this infrastructure built in, yeah. right, so that um, w- w- as soon as there's a vacancy, they're— they're there, full bore. They're, full they're ready
6: to go. And Judicial Crisis Network does advertising on an on-and-off basis about lower court nominations because they take this issue seriously. They only exist to advance that issue. And so they're up right now with a million-dollar television ad by trying to pressure Democrats to go along with some of these nominees on the floor this week, uh, including this guy, Michael Brennan, from Wisconsin, who's going to get this vote today. What we are saying to back to Democrats is, hey, s- show some backbone. If They yeah. are railroading yeah. you here on this pick from Wisconsin, so we came out with a petition yesterday that we launched with a few other groups like People for the American Way, Leadership Conference for Civil and Human Rights, and, and Alliance for Justice, where we said, hey, Democrats, if they go forward with confirming Michael Brennan from Wisconsin— you should shut down, stop voting for any more of these Trump nominees. I mean, Democrats continue to give votes to some of these guys, and I don't see what the political upside for it is. I don't see why they want to have any role as an accomplice in helping midwife this takeover of the judiciary that Trump's conducting, and yet you still have Democrats you know, on an off-and-on basis voting for these Trump nominees. A major- we looked it up. A majority of the Demo- Senate Democratic Caucus has voted for more than half of Trump's nominees. Why? Yeah. Why are they being a party to this? And so, especially when when, when Trump and McConnell, really especially when Trump and McConnell, I've decided yeah. to jam them like they're doing with this guy Michael Brennan. Also today, they're going to hold a hearing on another nominee, Ryan Bounds, a guy from Oregon for the Ninth Circuit. He has uh, not been approved by either of the two Democratic senators from Oregon. The Ninth Circuit is historically a left-leaning circuit, as you know, Bill. There are three open seats from California. Uh, that that the White House right now has to decide who they're going to nominate, and Kamala Harris and Dianne Feinstein, the ranking member on Judiciary, are in active negotiations with them. I guarantee you, the White House is going to decide to just jam those two Democratic senators from California and try to impose some hard right wingers on those to fill those three seats from California. And think of how important the Ninth Circuit is. Mm-hmm. They issued the injunction last year on the travel ban. They're going to hear ultimately this case on uh, uh, the. Jeff Sessions' Justice Department is suing California over sanctuary cities. Mm-hmm. Ninth Circuit's going to hear that case. Uh, California's challenging the federal government over climate policy. And so the Ninth Circuit is so critically important, and Trump is about to swing it far to the right if we yeah. don't stand up to this Yeah, railroad. I mean, I
1: hate to use the word, but, but the, the Ninth Circuit has really been the wall, or yes. maybe the firewall, uh, against a lot of policies, that even the last year and a half, that Trump put. But, but over the years, they've, they've been the outstanding Progressive voice, if you will, on the on the federal and there's court eight system.
6: vacancies in it right now. Three they, from California. Trump so he, has
1: been holding back right until they. The Washington get, Post
6: had a big story on this on Monday that yeah, the Ninth Circuit yeah. probably the next one that he's going to focus on and try to remake in in his in his conservative image, and um, that would take away a, a, a historically progressive leaning circuit, and, and so our our call to Senate Democrats is hey. They're coming for you guys. They're railroading Tammy Baldwin today. Next week, it's going to be the Oregon Senators with this guy Ryan Bounds, and in a couple weeks, it may be Dianne Feinstein and Kamala Harris. It's time to stand up and say, we're not going to be a party to this. We're not going to vote for any more of your people. We need to bring some attention to this issue. The left has gotten too complacent about the courts.
1: You would think that Chuck Schumer would get this.
6: Chuck Schumer actually was an innovator in the issue of the courts back, if you remember, during the judicial confirmation wars in 04, 05, he was one of the people that stood Mm -hmm. up to Miguel Estrada and some of the more... Hard right leaning yeah, nominees so he, from the Bush administration saying that hey we can no longer just say that if you got if you went to the right law school you went to the Yale Law School you had the right clerkships that we're just going to confirm you without second guessing your ideology we want to take a look at your decisions because we want people that are in the judicial mainstream and he sort of normalized that as a consideration that was fair to take into account in Senate confirmation processes and so I think so he's he doing I think it. he's he, doing yeah he understands it. the importance of the of the courts in in our system and but I think that we need to convince the left at an activist level, at a grassroots level, that they need to just put a small percentage of the activism that's going into opposing Trump generally into this issue because it's the one that Trump and McConnell care so deeply about.
1: Do, isn't part of the problem maybe that people don't understand the reason the courts, it, it's just even at the local level. I remember you know I was, as evolved as I was in politics in California. The, uh, and even when I vote today, I must tell you, right, um, I get the ballot because we still vote in California, um, so that our, our vote counts for something in California. But when I get the ballot, you know, okay, I, I know the senators. I know the members of Congress. I kind of know the state legislators. It gets down to the courts. Hell, I don't know who to vote for. Right. right. People don't pay much attention right. to those. I usually end up calling a friend of mine. At least I'll do that rather than just guess, Right. right. Call a friend of mine to say, "Hey, what, could, what? How should I vote in this or this or this?" But most people, they don't know the judges, they don't know the names, they don't. Totally. Uh, right? But the right I mean, has
6: invested in caring about this, yeah. not just at the federal level, but at the state level too. If you look at Trump's shortlist, the 24 names he's floated for a potential next vacancy, uh, almost half of them are from state supreme courts because the federalist society is increasingly mm. trying to replenish their bench of young. Hard right-leaning conservatives right, right. by stocking these state supreme courts with former aides to Scott Walker or former aides to the governor of Texas, and then bring them up through the ranks of the state supreme courts, and then elevate them immediately to the federal bench from and the state. And once supreme they're on
1: Court. the federal bench, they're there. For life. For life. For right? life. Yeah.
6: And so, yeah. and Mitch McConnell, I mean, all we have to do, all we're, our group is going to have to do is just advertise Mitch McConnell's own words because he's, he's on, he it on Monday, or last uh, Thursday, I think, just bragging about this, bragging about the fact that so many of these guys, and, and they're mostly guys are in their yeah. 40s and they're early 50s, and yeah. they're going to, and he has said, our goal is to move the country right of center. He's very open about, that. on the left, I think we cling to these romantic notions that the courts are beyond partisanship, and they should be, but the right doesn't treat it that way. They treat it as scorched earth, zero sum, raw political game. They want their people on the bench making decisions on LGBTQ equality, about reproductive freedoms, about money in politics. And we need to wake up and start fighting back.
1: And when 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 they so in terms of any president's legacy, right, no matter who it is, the the most lasting legacy are probably the people that, that, that they put on the courts.
6: Absolutely. And
1: Because you can't dislodge and, them except impeachment right. if they do something really, really bad. But All otherwise
6: right. And even and we tend to think of uh, uh, president's legacies with respect to Supreme Court nominees, but even if Donald Trump doesn't get another vacancy at the highest court, and I hope he doesn't, what he's doing is so vast and expansive at the level of the circuit courts. The circuit courts here ninety percent decide 90% of the biggest disputes of our day because the Supreme Court can only take so many yeah. cases oh, a yeah. year. Yeah. And so yeah. when he, if he succeeds in tilting the balance of a circuit court like the Ninth Circuit, that is going to have reverberations for decades to come. In it's why at the tail end of the Obama administration Democrats sort of finally woke up to this and if you remember the whole reason that Harry Reid went nuclear was because the Republicans were not letting him confirm anybody any of Obama's picks to the DC Circuit, which is considered the second most mm-hmm. important court in the country behind only the Supreme Court and Harry Reid said these filling these three seats with these Obama nominees is so important we're gonna we're gonna break the filibuster for the for, for lower court judges and installed some, very ardent, bold progressives that are issuing great, fiery uh, dissents and opinions And some of these cases. You may remember the case a few weeks ago about an undocumented minor that was pregnant. Yeah. That, that yeah the were... the, the oh, Trump administration did not want to let her leave custody in order to, uh, to exercise her right to a freedom of choice. And then it was the D.C. Circuit that said, oh, no, you don't. Mm-hmm. And that was that was an Obama nominee that wrote that decision.
1: The uh, Brian Fallon's the head of this new organization called Demand Justice. Your website is demandjustice.org. Yes, sir. Um, where people can find out more about some of these battles and 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 these court case or the court um, confirmations, uh, judicial confirmations that are up. And so, how can you get um, activists around the country? to care about this and plug in and do something about it, and what are you asking them to do?
6: So we're going to be very active in the digital space. Unlike Judicial Crisis Network, which really just sort of engages episodically whenever there's a Supreme Court vacancy, and then when they do engage, they usually spend millions of dollars on television, uh, our engagement is going to be more enduring and more permanent, and it's going to be largely in the digital space. We're going to be an online organizing entity. Uh, we're going to be focused on 14 or 15 states, the states that are critical in terms of the uh, Senate votes, uh, so states that have swing or uh, persuadable Republicans. Um, so we're going to be doing a lot of stuff in states like Colorado and North Carolina because Cory Gardner and Tom Tillis, they're in cycle next in 2020, mm-hmm. not in 2018, but in 2020. They're going to be among the most vulnerable Senate incumbents uh, next uh, when we get into the next cycle. So we're going to start investing on the ground there to pressure them. Uh, But we're also gonna be investing in states where Democrats occupy safe blue seats, but they've been a little bit wayward in their voting record. You have uh, a good, uh, strong uh, Democratic senator in Amy Klobuchar representing a strong blue state of Minnesota, but when uh, Al Franken was still serving in the Senate, there was a situation with a nominee for the circuit court out of Minnesota. Al Franken drew a line in the sand. This is a guy that has a horrible record on women, David Strauss, who's now a confirmed judge. Al Franken said, no, I'm not gonna Mm -hmm. return my blue slip. And, and Amy Klobuchar decided to play ball and help advance him and even introduced him at a hearing. And so it, I only think that that happens because senators like Amy Klobuchar are not hearing anything from the left because the left is not informed or engaged about the types of uh, records of these judges. So we're gonna do the job of trying to inform those grassroots people on the ground in these states.
1: Yeah, to make this an issue that uh, the people really do care about. And, yeah.
6: and if you and, think back to like a century uh, ago, Supreme Court justices and people of the law were leading voices and thinkers on the left. Justice Brandeis, and, and, and we can get back to that time. There's no reason why we can't. If you look at the huge outsized uh, role that Antonin Scalia occupies on the conservative right, RBG has started to become an iconic figure similarly, but we want to sort of nurture a conversation where we think of the courts as like a a venue where we advance our goals as progressives. You
1: know, we hear it all the time during presidential campaigns, Um, but it really is true, isn't it? That the Supreme Court is like the number one reason on how you vote for president.
6: On the right. Yeah. And and you well, saw yeah well, how many times but how for many, anybody I mean ma- if you
1: if you care about
6: it should be issues, but it was right? it was really only true on the right in this past election yes. how many how many oh, mainstream yeah. Oh, yeah. how many mainstream Mitt Romney style Republicans decide were publicly saying that we're holding our nose and voting for Donald Trump even though he offends us in so yes, many regards right. because of the Supreme Court they yeah, are so they get animated they they're get so it, animated right. around the issue of guns and around choice or, or an abortion. Uh, that they make the Supreme Court a voting issue on their side. We do not do it on our side. We're going to try to change that. It's going to take we a lot should, of time and right? it's going to be hard, but we're going to try to change
1: it. We should, because of the issues coming. Look at the issues that are up this year in terms of...
6: All these issues. In terms are also, of I, I, think of all the things, immigration, things that... Immigration,
1: the Dreamers, think the of Janus what, issue for public employee unions.
6: Everything that has inspired activism in the last year is ultimately going to be settled by the courts. The travel ban is going to be set, settled by the 5-4 Supreme Court with Neil Gorsuch sitting on it. Uh, the DACA policy, whether whether that's capricious for uh, mm-hmm. for, Trump to, for Trump to be overturning it and arbitrary and, and uh, is going to be decided probably by the Supreme Court next year. We've had a lot of lower court injunctions that have prevented that reversal from going into the, effect. Uh, I was
1: just thinking, too, the reapportionment decisions in you know, Wisconsin and... If you care uh, about
6: gerrymandering, if you care... All these issues are ultimately resolved in the courts. so it makes no sense to only sort of engage in activism for, to pressure Congress but then not pay any attention to the judges that are ultimately going to decide these issues. Uh, no.
1: that's That's the message of Demand Justice. That's the importance of having this new organization, Demand Justice. Uh, and uh, how lucky we are that we have Brian Fallon to head it. Brian, thanks so much for what you're doing. Thank thanks you for giving me in. the
6: opportunity to talk to you.
1: Check in, plug in, be part of it. Demandjustice.org uh, The rest of Wednesday is all yours, friends. Make the most of it, and then uh, come back and see us this again tomorrow. We'll
2: is the Bill Press Show.